Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, today. And today we have the privilege and honor of having Spike Cohen, um, Libertarian Vice Presidential Candidate, on our show today. I'm super excited. He's a super busy guy. We've been having to try him. We've been trying to have him on for the last few months now, and he has been super busy campaigning, as you can only imagine. Um, so, as always, you can watch us on face my Facebook Live and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. Also, you can catch us on most of the podcast forums, so um, iTunes, SoundCloud, um, Google Play, all of those. So go to those forums. You can always listen there. After we stream live, we will have those edited and put up on those forums. And Spike Cohen, welcome to our show. Thank you, Sean, for having me on. I'm, I'm really happy to, that we were able to make this work. We actually, just to put it in perspective, on, like you said, on, on being busy campaigning, I just got back from a, a three-week-long bus tour that we did uh, that started in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, just under a month ago and uh, and hit every almost every state between Ohio and Washington and ended in, in Olympia two days ago. So uh, so they're, they're definitely keeping me busy. But this is uh, one of those rare days I get to be at home and doing uh, interviews from, my, from the comfort of my of our guest room. So uh, so thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, welcome back home. So, do you have any idea how many cities in how many days that you um, traveled to? On the bus tour? Or yeah, or yeah, on the bus tour. Oh, see, I should probably know this. Um, I could count them. Uh, so <laughs> it, it was, I believe 15. So, wait, look, I can do that Cincinnati, Flint, Highland, Indiana, Des Moines, Iowa, Wichita, Kansas, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, or actually Lincoln, Nebraska, Wichita, Kansas. Um, uh, Lubbock, Texas, uh, Tempe, Arizona, uh, San Diego, uh, yeah, San Diego, Huntington Beach, Vegas, Salt Lake City, um, Reno, Oakland, Eugene, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, Olympia, Washington. So what's that? Uh, 17. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that'll keep you busy. Wow. Well, yeah. good for you. Hopefully yeah. you got some sleep. Well, I did. In between the events, I would <laughs> right. sleep on the bus uh, or in the hotel room or on the airplane, and then we would be at the next event. And uh, I mean, it was fast paced, but it was a blast. And, uh, you know, while our opponents are in their uh, bunkers and basements hiding away from the American people who are literally on the streets expressing their outrage at the uh, totally predictable consequences of bad Republican policies. We are out in the streets. Joe Jorgensen and I and the Libertarian Party are out in the streets meeting with everyday Americans, talking with them about the issues they are facing and telling them how our common sense libertarian solutions are the fix to those problems. So tell us, what, what, is, what is libertarian solutions? What's libertarian and what, is, what are libertarian principles and solutions? Absolutely. So libertarianism in a nutshell is the belief that and I mean we could spend the next several years talking about what libertarian I, I love it. I know. I could too. Uh, but, <laughs> but in terms of, of you know, in a nutshell, libertarianism is the belief that we own ourselves, which means that we own our lives and our bodies. That means that we own our property, which is our the product of our bodies, the product of our labor. Uh, and that we own these things, they are inherent to us, we can give them away, we can sell them, we can rent them, we can do what we want, because they are inherently ours. And that when people take from us, uh, that that is an act of aggression, and that aggression is not wrong, is not just wrong from a moral standpoint, that it's wrong to harm people, it's wrong to 
take things from them. It's wrong to try to subjugate them and tell them what to do. But it also doesn't work from a utilitarian sense. Sean, if I can take from you and everyone else watching this, whenever I see fit, I'm not going to be a good steward of what I have because I don't need to make good decisions because I can simply take more from, from y'all whenever I see fit. And, and you aren't necessarily going to make the best decisions because you know that I can come and take it from you whenever, you, whenever I see fit. So you might as well use it while right. you can. And if we look at every bad policy that is in place, including in healthcare. It is simply a, a situation in which Republicans and Democrats, in their exclusive control of every lever of power of government for the past 160 years, have set up a system whereby they presume the authority to take from us and aggress upon us anytime they see fit. And what have they done with that? Whenever they've done so, they have used that control to take power and freedom and money from everyday Americans to give to themselves and the well-heeled, politically connected billionaire cronies who have bought and paid for them to be in office. What libertarians propose is to dismantle these oppressive, centrally defined, uh, centrally planned, arbitrarily defined and crony-friendly policies and give that power and that freedom and that wealth back to the American people so that they can thrive and prosper in ways that are often not possible to even do right now. I love it. Boy, I can tell you are so passionate about this subject, and I am so glad that you're out there educating people about it because every person really deep down inside, every person as a human, I think we want liberty. We, we, we want liberty, and, and we will strive for that. Um, and the more we have that, I think the happier everybody will be. So a little bit of background of how I met you. So I was running a podcast for Anthony Wealthy, who's a libertarian yep. candidate that ran for a Washington State Insurance Commissioner um, and um, had some great libertarian policies, uh, you know, about how fixing health care in this state, which, you know, there are some there are a lot of bad policies in this state that get, that takes away people's freedoms. Um, and I was supportive of Anthony because um, – you know, he really wanted people to, to have liberty to choose what kind of insurance they could choose, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of deductible, all that kind of stuff. And yep, yep. Um, it's, it's I'm really sad that he didn't get the um, get into get in past the primary because I would like to see him in there. There's another thing I'll talk about later. No, but, but I want to but I want to say just Go in ahead. Anthony's uh, defense, he did break the record. Uh, for a libertarian running in that position by, in spades. I mean, he, he got nearly half a million votes uh, on a campaign that was largely run by him and a, and a handful of other people that were helping. Uh, he, if you do the vote per dollar spent in campaigning, he did exponentially better than anyone else running. Uh, he set a proof of concept for the idea that you can run for what is relatively obscure uh, office, but but bring libertarian solutions to that specific office and draw a lot of attention to it. Also, and this is a bit of a brag on my part, Anthony was actually the uh, one of the advanced planners on my on the bus tour. So he was actually I was actually on the bus for three weeks with Anthony. So that was really cool. I, I saw that. That's that's great. Um, yeah. yeah, that was good for Anthony. I bet he had vol. I bet you guys really got along well. So that's oh, awesome. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's incredibly, yeah, he's a great guy to hang around with. And he's also incredibly uh, adept and incredibly uh, effective at, at anything he puts his mind to. He did a fantastic job with it. And he's actually, we're doing, we're going to be announcing the, the dates for the second leg of the tour uh, in about a month. And he'll be on that as well, if he can. Cool. Cool. Yeah, right. So um, just to go back a little bit, when I was on that podcast with Anthony, um, I was hearing you talk about some free market principles in healthcare. And 
Um, one of the things you mentioned is you mentioned what caused a lot of the problems with our healthcare system yeah. is is government intervention. So don't think that government can fix it because government's the one that screwed it up. And exactly. it it really hit home with me because. Um, you know, I wrote a book about it. The book was called is called Sickened: How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And it got it has a history in there about, you know, how this all started out, and you basically could have darn near wrote my book with some of your your <laughs> comments. Cuz you said and let's just I want your comment, I you know, your comment and explanation on this. You said one of the things that caused this problem that we have in healthcare is um uh, price and wage freezes back in the 1940s. Can yep, you can yep. you um, expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. And this demonstrates how you know obviously the subject we're talking about right now is healthcare, but so often these things bleed into each other, and it's why libertarians tend to look at things in a holistic manner instead of in a similar way in medicine. It's best to look at the entire body as opposed to just a specific symptom. Uh, in the same way, when we're looking at these policies, we often look at how policies that weren't really directly or even indirectly related to healthcare ended up leading to massive problems in another sector, like, for example, healthcare. Uh, so, in this example, uh, during World War II, the federal government, the US federal government, was basically employing almost everyone in order to pay for the war, in order to do the war effort. And in order to try to keep costs down, uh, FDR, uh, President Roosevelt uh, proposed wage caps, and he threatened wage caps. He threatened that if if businesses didn't stop uh, reducing what they were paying workers, um, then he would introduce wage caps. And the reason this was happening was because supply and demand. There was great supply. There was great demand for labor, and there wasn't much supply of it because everyone was already doing something else, working for the war effort. So employers started trying to poach employees. Which, by the way, this demonstrates how when a, a, an economy is doing well, and there's a you know when the, when the best way to see uh, wage increases is to have a very tight job market, and the best way to do that, obviously, is to deregulate the market so that there's there's more jobs, uh, there's more people working, and, and and more jobs available, and fewer people to actually fill those spots. But I digress. Um, when that happened, uh, when those wage caps were threatened, uh, employers, in order to uh, be able to keep their wages flat, they found a way around it. The way around it was to start offering non-wage benefits. Those benefits included things like pensions. They included things like childcare. They included anything they could include that wasn't exact, you know, a wage, an actual like you know wage that they pay every week. One of the things they introduced was comprehensive health insurance. Now, up until that point, health insurance was kind of a catastrophic plan thing that you could either get or not get. You'd pay a small nuisance fee every month. Uh, and if something catastrophic happened, you were in a, you know, a, a terrible accident or you had uh, you know, cancer or some other chronic health issue or some major, major health catastrophe, the insurance would pay for whatever medical care you needed. Uh, in a similar way to pe how people will get liability coverage for their car, um, as opposed to comprehensive car insurance that would cover your gas and your and your tire pressure checks and all of that stuff. Um, they leave that to you to pay for out right. of pocket. And instead, they just pay if there's any catastrophic things that happen. When comprehensive health insurance got introduced into the market, and keep in mind, again, this was not something the market ever demonstrated that it wanted until it was introduced as a way to get around proposed government regulations. Key point there. Because right. the health insurance is not free market health care. We did not want it. The market did not bear it out. Comprehensive health insurance was introduced because of threatened 
federal regulations. Okay, so now comprehensive health insurance introduced. What happens? Costs start to go up faster than the general cost of living, which they had not done up until that point. Up until that point, the cost of healthcare went up and down with the general cost of living. Here's what happened. Now, instead of you and me, the patient, going to the doctor and saying, I would like this, I need this to be done, uh, or doc, I'm not feeling too good. And the doctor says, oh, okay, well, you need this, 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 and this. This is what I charge. And then us deciding whether we want to go with them to get it done or go with one of their competitors and get a second opinion or whatever else. Now it's our insurance companies deciding all of that. And because there is now that separation between the person who is getting the care and the person who is paying for the care, there's now a level of inefficiency there. And there's also all these people whose uh, uh, salaries have to be paid. You've, you've added a level of unnecessary bureaucracy and all that has to be paid for. That is reflected in the cost of your overall care. So costs start going up faster than the cost of living. This continued to go on for about 20 years or so until finally the American people started saying, wow, health, health coverage is starting to get really expensive. And we've got a growing population uh, coming out of the, uh, the, the pre-World War II baby boom, a growing pop population of people uh, who are, because there was a, th these were the people that were the, from the World War I baby boom who were now reaching retirement age. <laughs> and there were people, and they were saying, wait a second, I'm not going to be working anymore. I don't see how I'm going to be able to afford my health care if I don't have a salary. So Congress decided to make it even worse. They introduced Medicare and Medicaid. This was going to give uh, largely subsidized health insurance, 80%, 20% uh, to people who, are, who reach retirement age, which at the time was 65. Uh, and it would also give free health care to the poor. The people who were against this said that this would make it even worse, that you are introducing even more regula regulatory burdens, you're introducing even more bureaucracy, you're introducing even more uh, 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 separations between those who are paying for the care and who are receiving the care, which means you're removing the price equilibrium that is inherent in a free market and you're gonna make costs go out of control. They passed it anyway. That's exactly what's happened. The costs now are going up at an even higher rate than they were before those things were introduced. And so that brings us into the 1980s and 1990s where they start implementing even more additions to Medicare and Medicaid, expanding Medicaid and Medicare coverage. This is when you go into uh, the, the early 2000s with Medicare Part D to pay for, uh, to pay for uh, pharmaceuticals. The cost of pharmaceuticals going out of control because of patent protections that allow them to sell drugs for thousands or tens of thousands of times as much as they could charge in any other country because of those patent protections and competitors not being able to also make those same drugs, drugs that have been around longer than any of us have been born, like uh, insulin and epinephrine. And because it's the insurers, the insurance companies and Medicare and Medicaid that are the primary aggregators of demand by paying for those things. They can charge whatever they want because they don't have to have a price equilibrium. You don't have to be able to afford it as long as your insurance can, as long as Medicare and Medicaid can afford it. And of course, they can afford it because they're just taking from your tax dollars and <laughs> run up debt in your name and make you pay for it for the next 40 years. And then in those situations, if you're one of those unfortunate people who's not covered, you just die because you can't afford it. That brings us to the Obamacare debate. They were going to introduce universal health care, which basically single payer like they have in Canada or they have in, uh, in, in many other countries. Um, it turned into instead a bit of a fiasco. 
which is now basically a total hybrid system where the government is controlling every single lever of what things cost. And the idea is, oh, well, we're going to be able to negotiate much better than you know, the average American is uh, because we have a much larger economy of scale. The exact opposite has happened. They have introduced massive, massive in, in, uh, increases in bureaucracy. The cost of things have gone through the roof. Their negotiation with the pharmaceutical companies has been charge whatever you want. We'll stick the American taxpayer with the bill. Uh, and and it has led to it, the cost increases. We were told if you want to keep your uh, insurance, you can keep it. We all lost our insurance. We now have to have compliant plans. We were told that uh, costs would go down as much as fifteen hundred dollars for family. They've gone spiraled out of control. Uh, Trump comes in on a promise to repeal it. Instead, he uh, he introduces even more regulations that drives up the cost yep. even more. This is a perfect case study. What we have looked at for the last nearly 100 years, Sean, is a perfect case study of what happens when the government takes a market that largely doesn't have any problems. Right. Not that it was perfect, but it largely was, didn't have any problems and decides, I'm going to fix this thing that have no, has no problems and creates massive problems. If your car insurance was the same as your health insurance, where instead of you just getting the stuff you need, buying gas when you need it, buying you know, new tires when you need it, taking care of, you know, fixing stuff on your car, dents on your car when you need it. If instead you just had comprehensive care, you would be spending thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars a month. And you would be waiting weeks to get gas and tires and everything else that you need because there would be a massive and costly bureaucracy that drives up the cost. There was a recent study that, that said that, uh, and I forget who it was from, that said that 75% of the cost of healthcare is just the red tape compliance costs from Medicare, Medicaid, and government mandated insurance. Now, keep in mind, that is not the cost of providing those services to the people who need them. That is the cost of medical professionals having to demonstrate compliance with the laws and, and to comply with them. 75%, three quarters on every dollar that you are spending in healthcare is just the cost of the bureaucracy. And that makes perfect sense. You go to the hospital. What do you see? You see one doctor, you see two or three nurses, and you see like 15 administrators. <laughs> it's not because they need that many administrators to run the hospital. It's because they need that many administrators to prove compliance with the laws, including laws that require them to have that many administrators. And this does many things. This makes the cost go up directly because you're having to pay for all those administrators. This makes an increasing number of doctors retire early because they can't afford to do it anymore. Uh, this makes an increasing number of, 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 of uh, large health management companies fire entire wings of medical professionals because they can't afford to keep them on. And it causes, and this is something we won't see for decades, we'll be feeling this for the next several decades, people that would have become doctors who are, who are doing a cost-benefit analysis. They look at what the student loans are going to cost them to become a medical professional. They look at what the cost will be to become one, and they realize there's no way they're going to make any money. So they go and find something else to do instead. That is leading, it is already leading, and will continue to lead to a massive increase in the doctor and, and medical professional shortage, pharmacists, doctors, uh, nurses, and everything else. That is, and it, and it all started because FDR uh, wanted to keep costs down uh, during the war. And it just shows how government getting involved in something just makes it worse. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. You just summed up my, a chapter in my book. Thank you so much. <laughs> So just to let just to let our viewers know, it was Executive Order 9328-1943 under the FDR administration that put in price and wage freezes. 
And then it was a Social Security amendment in 1965 where Medicare, Johnson signed in Medicare. And, of course, that all piggybacked or Medicare piggybacked on Social Security from 1935. So Social Security, we got to go back to Social Security to look at how the government really started to ruin health care. And then, of course, the Affordable Care Act. Once, Once Social Security, Medicare passed the Affordable Care Act, piggybacked on that in 2010 and you're exactly right costs have went up astronomically you look at my book utilization utilization of nursing homes um, went up 700 percent after medicare was passed within a few years now that doesn't mean that those people really were going without care before didn't need to be in nursing homes it just meant that there was overutilization. People were doing things they didn't have to do anymore. It happens in healthcare all the time. Unnecessary procedures being done because a third party pays the bill. Do you have anything to say about that? So I am. This is the reality of anything in the market. When you have someone, and keep in mind, a lot of doctors and nurses. I, I, I have a, a lot of friends, and I've spoken with many more who are medical professionals. And in every aspect of what they do, their jobs are made harder. And we didn't need COVID-19 to prove that. With this, what we're seeing is that their jobs are made harder. Every time they submit something, it can take weeks, sometimes even months to get the money back that they've already put out money for, for you know the cost of all the goods that they needed, the cost of the equipment they needed and everything else, the cost of the labor and everything. And now they're waiting to get reimbursed by Medicare, Medicaid, and government mandated insurance. And it's sometimes taking weeks and months. And so the way that you get around that is you have to pad it as much as possible with as many things as possible because you're waiting to even get the money in the first place. If instead you remove all of that red tape, you remove all of that bureaucracy, and now it's you and your medical professional deciding what you need based on what is necessary, what you can afford, and who you and and what your other options are like anything else i i I always try to compare because you know this is similar to how when the the soviet union collapsed there were people saying how are we going to be able to get food without bread lines because they were so conditioned that that's how they needed to get food was bread lines the idea that that the market would provide food uh was was horrifying to them what do you mean the market's going to provide food i need my bread line um, this is similar with, with healthcare. People say, well, but without health insurance, how would we even get healthcare? How could we even afford healthcare? And yet every day they go and they buy food and they buy water and they buy the things that they need. Well, imagine if, if, you know, you, you, if you want a chicken sandwich, you go to a chick, you go to a, a restaurant, you see what the price of the chicken sandwich is and you say, okay, that sounds good. Or you go, eh, you know what? I'll get a chicken sandwich somewhere else. You need that chicken sandwich. If you do not eat, you will pretty quickly die. Uh, but you can still have time to make some choices as to what kind of chicken sandwich you want. Some of us have plenty of time. And so <laughs> you, you, so we make these choices and we do it based on, uh, you know, a cost benefit analysis of how good the sandwich is, if it's worth that cost, or if I can go somewhere else, it's called price equilibrium. If I charge a thousand dollars for a chicken sandwich, I know that no one would buy it because I can't charge that much. But if there's comprehensive chicken sandwich insurance, and, and, and we declare that chicken sandwich is a human right. Now I can charge whatever I want. I can also try to get it regulated that only certain people can provide chicken sandwiches. I can demonstrate because I'm a bigger chicken sandwich supplier. I'm the only one that can afford to, to, to 
uh, deal with the compliance costs of proving that my chicken sandwiches meet the various chicken sandwich insurance and chicken sandwich mandate regulations of red tape. And now my chicken sandwich is a thousand bucks and I get about 300 of it. Uh, and then the rest goes into compliance costs, but I make way more on the chicken sandwich. And yes, it takes me two months to get reimbursed for the cost of the chicken sandwich, but at least I get a ton of money for my chicken sandwich uh, for all my time wasted and just providing it. If instead, again, I just sell you a chicken sandwich and you pay what you can, you pay what you, you pay it or don't pay it based on whether you can afford it and whether or not you think that's a worthwhile chicken sandwich or you want to get the one, you want to get the McChicken for $1.99 or whatever, uh, then that's a choice that you can make and it allows you to have different options. If we allow for there to be more options and we allow for the price equilibrium to come into, into place where people can't charge more than, uh, than the, the market can bear and people can afford, that would reduce costs, that would increase access, and that would allow you to have better outcomes. It would, it would allow you to not have to do all these other uh, procedures and things that you may not even need. So I guess I'm not so crazy is what you're telling me. You're not crazy. <laughs> and the reason, that, the reason that Amazon's giving you a hard time with your book right now is because the status quo is very scared right now. And that includes Amazon, that includes social media, that includes all of these, uh, you know, this includes the, the, the crony corporate media, of six, uh, most media that we consume on, on TV and, 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 and even radio media is owned by six multinational trillion dollar companies who have a vested interest in keeping the Republicrat gravy train crony yep. status quo going. And they know they know that if our ideas get out, when our ideas get out, because the only thing they can do is delay the amount of time that it takes for it to get out. When these ideas get out, their gravy train is over and they'll have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and live within, in, would live within their means like they tell the rest of us to do every day. Right. Well, and let me just clarify on my book, Amazon, for I released my book last year and I did no different this year and just uh, last week or Yesterday, they informed me that my advertising didn't meet their their. It was too political, basically, yeah, and yeah. I hadn't changed anything. But what's interesting is that we're getting close to election time, right? So now, now I will say this: in in Amazon's defense, um, I I um, requested they review it, and they reviewed it today, and they approved the ad. So oh, good, good, yeah, good, good. and I think that's a that's. That's a telltale um, example, um, Spike, of that we cannot let these big media um, conglomerates control our free speech. We need no. to call. We need to call them out on it. Whether it be Amazon, whether it be YouTube, whether it be Facebook, we need to call them out. And speaking of the six radios or six major media groups you're talking right, about, right, right. the mm -hmm. only reason those groups get to be so big in the first place is because of government licensing. You know, yep. that's the only reason they're that big. And, and, and that's why they love the Republican Democrat thing. They love the two party yep. system yep. because yep. if they had to compete in a free, in a true free market, like the internet is still for now, largely, yeah, largely, yeah, yeah. largely, yeah. then, um, it would, it would, they wouldn't have just six of those. There would be a lot and they wouldn't be as big as, as they were, um, as 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 those those media groups are now so no and we're, and we're seeing sean in response to that an increasing amount of regulations in the internet in order 
precisely to try to solidify Absolutely. a small handful of, of uh, social media venues as the only real players in the game. That's the real problem. You know, if uh, when I hear that, you know, Facebook is updating their standards and telling people what to do on their venue, I do think it's appropriate to push back and to say, hey, listen, we don't like this. And, you know, we don't want to use your 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 venue, if your service, if if you're not going to allow us to say certain things. I think that that's appropriate. But at the same time, it's not much different than me saying, hey, look, you can't hang out in my house or in my business if you say certain things that I, I you know, that I don't agree with. And I, I don't want to have to hear that on my. So th that's not the problem. The problem isn't that they're they're limiting what can and can't be said. The problem is they're limiting who can compete. Because if they're if they weren't doing that and there were twenty other Facebooks, then when Facebook gets a little bit too strict, we would shrug our shoulders and go, All right, well, we're going over to this one instead. Right. Go say one over here. And that's good. That would be the market right. acting out. But when instead they they are increasingly restricting things to make it like how the rest of the media is, that's where the problem comes in. Um, I will say overall that Facebook Twitter, YouTube, Google, and Amazon, etc., do tend to give uh, non, uh, uh, you know, the the, the non-republicrats out there a little bit fairer of a shake than just general major media, corporate media does. Uh, but they certainly have, you know, they're certainly weighing in on trying to trying to get their preferred outcome for the elections, yeah. and uh, and that's understandable. But they, that's why they need to stop regulating uh, and stop using the power of government to regulate others, so that we can go, basically go around them and make our own thing. Right. Okay. So so back to healthcare. You're you're talking about you know the government ruined it so i i'm not just about complaining about problems i'm about solutions and on our podcast um and same with my book i want to educate and empower consumers that they can be in control of their own health care so what are you telling me is a solution um with to, to create a free market in healthcare? are you telling me the government needs to completely get out so here are three things we can do and yes the short answer is the federal government has no business being involved in healthcare. I think the founders were wise to not even mention it in the Constitution, yep. which according to the 10th Amendment means that it should be left yep. to the states or preferably <laughs> to the people, uh, and not should be, is legally required to be. That's a whole other subject. Um, I think that here are three things that can be done right off the bat. Number one, get rid of those absurd regulations regulatory burdens and taxes and mandates that are driving up at least 75% of the cost alone. They do no good. They do not help anyone. They do not serve the public uh, safety or health or anything else. They just make it harder for medical professionals to do their job. Again, we knew be, even before COVID-19 that the federal government is making it harder for medical professionals to do their jobs. And in the best of conditions, that means higher costs and lower access to affordable care. And during a pandemic, it means hundreds of thousands of lives needlessly lost. So we get rid of those regulations. That reduces the cost of health care to maybe possibly even 25% of what we're paying now. Not only does that make healthcare more affordable, it makes Medicare and Medicaid more affordable. It makes social security more affordable by reducing the costs that are endemic in those programs. So it fixes a lot of problems right there, or at least greatly ameliorates a lot of problems right there, just with that one thing. The next thing we do is we end the absurd patent protections on medications that have been around for longer than most of us have been alive. We do some serious reform of patent protections. This idea that you can take a drug and make one little small molecular change to, or not even a molecular change, but just a change to the way in which it's delivered going right. from a mist to a powder or something like that. <laughs> 
and, and, and declaring and using regulations to require that this is now the way everyone has to give it and that this is the only way that insurance can cover it and then driving up the cost tens, thousands of times more what they what, what they could charge anywhere else. That has to end. The uh, restrictions, and I guess this is sort of a secondary part of that, uh, we need to let people go and buy medi uh, medications wherever they want to. If the medication's legal and they have a prescription for it, there's absolutely no reason to tell Americans that they can't go and buy it in Canada, can't go and order it from another country and have it sent here. There's zero reason. There is no compelling reason other than to protect crony profits. That's it. So we end those regulations as well. They are an infringement on your freedom and, and allowing that competition would greatly reduce costs there as well. And then the last thing we do is we get rid of these absurd, absurd certificate of need laws. The idea that in order for you to build or expand a hospital or medical center, that you have to go to a municipality with a petition and get signatures to beg and scrape for them to allow you to get a certificate of need to uh, to build or expand your, your your medical center or hospital. When that municipality has no interest in even doing this anyway, they're required by federal law to do it in the first place or they wouldn't even be doing it. It's a stupid law. It makes it harder. It takes it make it adds weeks and months and sometimes years to the process of building or expanding the medical facilities that the market clearly needs or they wouldn't be building it in the first damn place. Because let's be clear, no one's building a hospital because they want to lose money. If they're building a hospital, it's because they know that there's a demonstrated need for it. We, those are just three things that we can do. I guess four things if you include the, the if you if you do the, the, the patent and the, and the uh, pharmaceutical thing is two separate yeah. things. Those are four things that we can do that would greatly, greatly reduce costs as much as 80 or even 90% and also increase access to affordable care and open up the markets that not only do you have lower costs, but you have more opportunities and more options from which to choose. So let's remember that certificate of need laws is not really about the new hospital or the new MRI coming into a facility or coming into a city. It's more about preventing them from coming in. So the current hospital or the current MRI has a monopoly. And exactly. that's, that's got to stop. It's about uh, reducing competition. Yes. And, and that, that is for crony profits. But for you, the consumer of healthcare services, it's a reduction. It is an, uh, a artificial reduction of, of supply and an increase in scarcity. And any economics professor will tell you, any, any person who's ever even studied economics will tell you that when the demand for something is going up and supply is being restricted unnecessarily, that causes massive increases because if, if, if supply stays here and demand goes here, then the costs go up. The value of that thing goes up, which means the costs go up. And if the costs are going up because of an unnecessary regulation that is costing causing that supply to, to, to remain static and, and not to go up to meet the demand, that means you are paying more unnecessarily because of bad government regulations that were set up entirely to protect the profits of the cronies who bought and paid for those politicians to go into office and introduce those regulations in the first place. It is a system of patronage. It is a kleptocracy where people get into office and steal from you, your money, your freedom, your power, your ability to choose. All of those things are taken from you and costs go up for you. Access goes down for you. Your life is made worse because of powerful people who don't give a damn about you and use you for your vote so that they can get into office and make things harder for you so that they and the cronies who paid for them can benefit from it. Yep. So what are your thoughts about, um, you know, we talked about 
you know, after the Affordable Care Act, you know, health insurance premiums really, really going sky high, even though they, oh, yep. they weren't supposed to. My wife and I, we lost our health insurance because of it. Well, we decided to that we didn't want to pay $1,800 a month anymore. So right, right. we found something different. We found what's called a health sharing ministry. And there's a lot of health sharing programs out there now, some of them that are non-faith-based. Can you speak to those? Because um, there's some states and federal laws that are trying to stop those. So can you speak to those? I don't know if you educate on those or not. I am. I have a cursory understanding of them. Here's my understanding. They are a way around the healthcare requirements. Uh, the people that are, are using them, I've yet to meet anyone who's using them who hasn't said that they were happier with them than they were with health insurance. Uh, I know that in some states, the regulations make it harder where they actually aren't as good. Uh, but in most states that allow them, the regulations are low enough where the people who use them are at least as happy as they were with health insurance, if not more so. And I know that the federal government and the states are increasingly looking at edging them out, which typically means they're a good idea. Typically when the federal government says, hey, this thing is bad, we should stop this. It almost always, not always, but it almost always means that people are enjoying something and the government doesn't have enough control of it. So, uh, so that's my understanding of health sharing. Uh, there are also, of course, yeah. the membership uh, programs where people can pay a monthly fee to you know, get as much uh, doctor's care yeah. as they need within a certain healthcare system. I think that that's a really cool model. Unfortunately, all of these models are designed to get around the existing regulations, which means they're not perfect. A perfect or, or as close to perfect as we could have plan would be one that didn't have any regulations to have to get around in the first right. place. Uh, didn't have any, you know, all these burdens and hurdles to have to jump over and get around in the first place. Uh, have, you know, so the best thing that that we can do at the at the uh, regulatory and, and legislative level when we get into office uh, is to remove those obstacles, those unnecessary burdens, so that the solutions that come forward have less and less to do with getting around loopholes and obstacles and burdens and barriers, and more and more to do with just providing you with the care that you want and need. Uh, as affordably as possible. Well, and I will tell you, in my book, I talk about health sharing ministries being one of the fixes. And there are a, a few of them out there now that are non-ministry-based, um, so they're non-faith-based. Um, new Health is one of them. Um, but anyway, because here's one of the things, it is a, it does get around the Affordable Care Act. And until you know the Affordable Care Act is repealed, you know that's what we need to do. And and here's one of the things that I think about traditional health insurance, not Medicare and Medicaid. We understand those are federal government insurances, and, and, and there's a lot of other federal government insurances, insurances, whether it be VA or, or what have you. But, you know, the Premier Blue Cross or, you know, United Healthcare, whatever, as far as I'm concerned, they are not private insurances anymore. People say, well, I have no. good private insurance. No, you know it's what? Not it's not private because the government is so heavily regulated that that they tell them what to pay for at what cost so you want to you want to speak to that at all yeah no they are a government that's why when i say i say medicare medicaid and government mandated insurance <laughs> i want to make it clear <laughs> that this is no longer if there if there was ever because in, in the past i mean let's be first of all as i said before starting off health health insurance comprehensive health insurance was never anything the market wanted this was just a way to get around in the same way similarly that now health sharing and, and other things that are coming up are ways to get around existing regulatory burdens or proposed regulatory burdens. That's it. 
No one was saying, hey, let's find a way to add unnecessary bureaucracy to healthcare and make it way more expensive and uh, tougher to get and make there be a line for healthcare. Let's do that. No one was saying that. They did that to get around a regulation. But you could choose who you wanted for your health insurance. You could choose whether or not you wanted health insurance. So there was at least some aspect of, of market principles to it. Now, that's not the case. Now you have to get it. Now in some states you get fined if you don't have it. So it and for a while you were fined at the regular level if you or I'm sorry you were taxed at the regular level. Uh, any of us would call that a fine typically, uh, but the Supreme Court decided it wasn't so that they didn't have to rule the entire thing unconstitutional. But they, you know, you get not fined for it uh, if you if you don't have it. It is a government mandated thing, and then more, and then just as importantly, it is a heavily heavily regulated thing. They decide, as we were talking about with pharmaceuticals, if the health insurance company wanted to say, okay, great, you found a new way to deliver insulin, but this other way was working fine and it's been around forever and it's a generic, we're going to just cover that. The, 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 the federal government, who is owned by those cronies that introduced that new innovative way of providing insulin, uh, says, no, 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 you have to only cover this type of insulin. And they go, okay, fine, we'll cover it. We're not paying for it anyway. You are the taxpayer. And so they, they just, they now are covering that. And that's why the costs go up. And then, and so the side effect of that is when someone is poor and doesn't have coverage and can't afford it, they die or they rely on, uh, you know, GoFundMes to pay for their insulin. And then other people will say, look at this. This is the free market providing healthcare. This is the problem is that, you know, the free market has driven up the cost of insulin and made it where people have to go on GoFundMe to get mm -hmm. insulin. You know, we need government run healthcare. That's what we need. We need at least single payer where the government's paying for all the healthcare or preferably where the government is managing healthcare entirely. I've met enough people who are using single payer healthcare in other countries. And I've met enough people who are using the VA and the national health service in the UK uh, and the VA here to tell you that the more government is involved, the worse it will get. Absolutely. And that harm is going to disproportionately affect the poor and marginalized communities because they have less money and less power than it affects everyone else. So not only will it harm all of us, it will, as most uh, impositions in, in the market do, disproportionately harm those with the least amount of money and power to be able to try to find a way around it. They will be harmed by it. The answer is actual free market Absolutely. care. And actual free market care is getting those regulations out of the way, getting that cronyism out of the way, getting that bureaucracy out of the way, allowing uh, uh, price equilibriums to come back into the market where they now are doing the same thing that stores do every single day that they sell yep. chicken sandwiches and salads and everything else that people want. Uh, and, and, and which again, cause people will say to me, and I know I'm ranting slightly, but people will say, well, free markets don't work in healthcare because you need healthcare. You need food. You need <laughs> water. You could actually probably the average person. And I say this as someone who has MS, the average person could go slightly longer with healthcare services, typically not always, but typically than they can with food. You can go about a day or two without food before things start to get really bad. And yet, we largely are able to just go and buy food if we want it. And for those who don't have food, they can largely be taken care of either through charity or a minimal social safety net to make sure that they have the food that they need. If we had a similar arrangement with healthcare, healthcare costs would be a fraction. And when I say a fraction, I mean pennies on the dollar. Yep. What it would cost now, we would have more 
um, options and we'd have more innovative solutions because people who try to come up with new ways of, of providing care, they're stifled by all these regulations. They're stifled by the FDA saying, no, 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 you got to spend about a billion dollars before you want to bring that thing to market. All of that gives reduces the number of options you have. It makes the care that you get more unaffordable and it, it drives costs up unnecessarily. We get rid of those burdens, introduce actual free market care, then things get considerably better. Absolutely. So typically um, what I've found is that, you know, a, a government-based a government based system like a hospital, um, they will bill about their price will be about 10 times what a free market solution is. Let me give you a good example. So a local hospital charges $40,000 for XYZ procedure. Or a patient can go to the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. I don't know if you've heard of them, Spike. But Surgery Center of Oklahoma was founded by Dr. Keith Smith. He's a, he's a libertarian, and he founded it in that, 1997. That's the, the, the membership program, right? Well, he's not. He's fee-for-service, but he does promote a lot of okay. the membership. He's, oh, okay, okay. It's a surgery center, and, and he takes cash only, basically. He doesn't take any government programs. And okay. his, his price for that same – it's a great story. It's in my book. Um, his price for that same procedure that was being offered in Georgia at a hospital for forty thousand, his price, four thousand. So you're right, pennies on the dollar. If if you that make is, if you make cents on the dollar, yes, and we see that all the time. Usually, it's about tenfold. My son recently had surgery at our local hospital. They, the the care was great, but the expense was exorbitant. And that same, it was about $46,000, that same procedure at Surgery Center of Oklahoma, $8,000. Yep. Um, you know, so, and one of the things and, is... is and, and, and to be clear, because a lot of times when I, will, when I will give these as example, people will say, uh, yeah, but, you know, because of the, they don't have to comply with the government stuff, the quality is not as good. That's not true. They actually tend to, if you look at the actual reviews from the people who have used those services... They're much higher. Of the course. reason for the reduction of costs isn't because they're cutting corners or doing things worse. It's just the opposite. It's because there wasn't a thousand people between you and that doctor providing the care that have to get paid. That's where the costs are. When you are sitting in front of your doctor and they're saying, well, you've got to do this and this and this. You don't see it in that moment, but in between you are thousands of people whose salaries have to be paid because they are part of they are taking their part in the bureaucracy. You remove that bureaucracy and have it where the only person getting paid there is the doctor and whoever's the nurses that are helping them. And, and they're paying for whatever, you know, good, whatever, uh, you know, uh, products and materials they need or whatever to do the, the services. Now, instead of there being thousands of people uh, or hundreds of people between you and the doctor, now it's just you and the doctor and the handful of staff that work for them. That is where the cost is. It's it, the hidden cost of bureaucracy. Right. And it was done with the intention of creating a bureaucracy, enriching cronies, giving you worse options, making you anxious so you let them take total control of the whole thing. Yep. And actually, you're right. The, the, the service would be better. And here's my argument when you have a third party involved, any kind of insurance, government insurance, let's just call it what it is. Anytime you have a third party involved, that third party's paying the bill. Do you think that that entity, that healthcare entity, cares about the patient 
as much as they care about the third party paying the bill? Let's let's think about that. The they third can't. no, the third party is the customer. They're the ones paying the bill. So they're the ones that are going to get the good service, not necessarily the patient. That's why when patients pay cash and you look at the the membership models like you talk about direct primary care or like the surgery center of Oklahoma or cash surgery centers, that's why they take care of the consumer so well and our service is good because that consumer is paying them. And if you exactly, and if you got rid of the regulations so that now more people could be doing that, you'd see those costs down go down even more because Absolutely. right now Surgery Center of Oklahoma doesn't have any competition. Yeah. And I'm not talking bad about Surgery Center <laughs> no. of Oklahoma, but in any way at all. Yeah. But two things would happen. You would have a greater economy of scale because more people would be doing those types of services, which means that the providers who are providing to those would have to ramp up supply to them. That reduces costs on their end, yep. and they have to reduce what they are charging because now there's competition. Now there's not just Surgery Center of Oklahoma. There's also Surgery Center of South Oklahoma and <laughs> right. Surgery Center of East Oklahoma and Surgery Center of two blocks away from Surgery Center of Oklahoma. <laughs> and when that happens, costs naturally go down because they have to be – they have to, you know, they have to do what they can to, to – to, cut the profit that they're getting in order to be able to get the, uh, the business from the, the client. That reduces costs even more and it increases innovation because now with those regulatory burdens gone, if someone figures out an even more efficient way or a more effective way to do the surgery at a lower cost or better service or better look service and lower cost, now everyone has to step up their game and do the same thing too. These are all the things right. that you lose with those regulatory burdens in place. Yeah, that's true. And here's the great thing is Dr. Keith Smith from the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, he knows about free market principles and yeah. he knows and he likes competition he really does and he knows that it makes everybody better so you know i appreciate that comment so here's the thing speaking of surgery centers right now in our healthcare system the same the same surgery at a hospital gets reimbursed way more than it does the same surgery at a surgery center from medicare and medicaid these government programs now uh, that to me now hospitals will will say well you know it's a lot more complicated in a hospital system well it's complicated because they make it complicated right exactly it's complicated right. because it's, the hospital system has been made unnecessarily they, complicated they basically may admit they're inefficient when they say that they can't do it for the same price surgery center is yeah. Can, yeah. or a surgery center does can you comment on that yeah no it's a, it, we see more and more that people that are getting like uh, uh, outpatient surgeries are going to surgery centers they're having organs removed. They go to a place. I was uh, honestly horrified the first time I heard it. Uh, One of my neighbors uh, had her, I believe it was appendix or gallbladder removed. It was one of those. She was home that day. I was horrified. I I said, there's no way. There's no way. Meanwhile, she was happier. She went there. She ate breakfast, went to the place, had the surgery. Skipped lunch because, as one would, and then <laughs> had dinner at home. Amazing. Yes, she was sent home with some meds. Yeah. Uh, she was otherwise, you know, healthy and everything else. She was thrilled. I'm like, "Are you okay?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm fine. If if something happens, I can go to the hospital, but I'm fine. I'm home. I'm where I'm comfortable. I am right. in pain and will be for the next." And she was in pain for a few days, and then she was fine. And it was yeah. done at fractions of the cost. Hospitals are not an efficient way to provide care. Hospitals are a way to provide immediate care to someone who cannot, is not in a position where they can go home. They have to be there all the time until they are discharged where, where they can get the care at home. Okay. I've, I've been, I have MS and I have, there was a time I had to be in the hospital for a few days. I hated every second of it. I wanted to be home. I knew that in that moment, it was best that I be there because they didn't know what they were dealing with at the time and didn't know what kind of risk to my health there was. 
as soon as they realized that I could go home and they could you know, do this on an outpatient basis, they did it immediately. My stress level immediately dropped to a fraction of yep. what it was previously because now I'm home. Right. I know that if I need the hospital, it's there, but I'm back home where I belong with my terribly outdated couch here. And I am, <laughs> you know, I am happy and I can look at my equally outdated horse painting and have, you know, enjoy my life. And, you know, there is a level of inefficiency that comes from, you know, requiring people to go to a building where it's not needed and where the most amount of bureaucracy is. You yep. go into a doctor's office, there's four or five administrators you go per, per doctor. You go into a hospital, there's 15 administrators. Yep. And the only reason there is, is because of the regulatory burdens. There is nothing there that is actually making you safe. You're actually having to interact with more people, which we're learning in the pandemic. The fewer people you have to, you are required yep. to interact with when your immune system is down and you're, and you're sick, the better. And yet here you are having a bunch of people in your face, making you sign papers and everything else. It is not contributing to your care. It is not contributing to your well-being. It is making you stressed out for no good reason, exposing you to potential pathogens. And the only reason they're doing it is because the law requires it. Yep. Okay. So speaking of pandemic, I know you, you we got to wrap this up. So what do you think yep. about um, the government mandating masks and mandating lockdowns? For the first two months, I, we have to get back to the root here. For the first two months that the virus was here, the CDC, the organization that the Republicans put in place to protect us from disease, banned medical professionals from testing and treating patients who had COVID-19. When patients were coming into their doctor's offices and saying, doc, I don't feel too hot. I just got back from Wuhan, China or Hubei province, China or whatever, and I'm not feeling good. Or I have a loved one who just got back from there and now I'm not feeling too hot. Neither are they. The doctor had to go, well, we can test you for the flu and hopefully it's just that. That was for nearly two months while the CDC tried creating their own test kits and while they told the, the, the free market people, uh, while they told the providers and the, the, the companies that were making test kits that they had to go through this Byzantine months-long process to, to get approval. You had companies in the U.S. that were making approved, effective COVID-19 test kits and selling them overseas because they couldn't legally sell them right. here to us and our providers. That went on for six to eight weeks, almost two months, this virus could have potentially been contained, or at the very least, the spread could have been slowed greatly. And instead, because of those ridiculous, stupid regulations that everyone acknowledged were stupid, and that they eventually got rid of because of civil disobedience from doctors who illegally tested patients and released it to the public so that they could see how stupid this whole thing was. In a, in a, in a, once that, because of that, we are facing, we don't know how many tens or hundreds of thousands of lives will end up being lost as a direct result of the federal government being involved in healthcare. So when we are told the government needs to be more involved in healthcare, the government's plenty involved in healthcare. Enough people have died, but thanks. This is a perfect example of why we need government out of healthcare. Now, when it comes to the masks and the lockdowns, the masks and the lockdowns have happened because of a pandemic that was largely imposed upon us by bad regulations. So all of the suffering we are seeing from the virus is happening as a direct result from that. Now, what have they done? They told us to shut down everything until further notice. We ourselves could lose everything. We get 1200 bucks. We're told to make that last until further notice. And that if we don't comply with what they tell us to do, that they'll put us in a cage where we're almost certain to contract COVID-19 for our safety. At the same time, the big businesses are getting trillions of dollars in bailouts whenever they need them to make sure that their bottom line isn't even remotely affected during this entire thing. That is why we are in the middle of the worst economic depression in the modern era, while simultaneously stock prices are at all time highs. 
because they are robbing trillions of dollars from you that you and your children and their children and their children will have to pay off for the next 40 years with interest. Every single aspect of what they are doing is a perfect example of what happens when Republicrats use their presumed authority to aggress upon you and take from you to enrich themselves and their cronies while you suffer. These lockdowns did not slow the spread. The spread was still going. Okay, what did it do? It caused massive human suffering. It caused people who had addictions to not be able to go to AA meetings because those things weren't essential. But the stores that sell alcohol were essential. It caused people who had small businesses that had spent years and decades building them up into something that they could live off of and that they could provide jobs in their communities and help grow their communities to lose everything in a matter of weeks. It caused people who need cancer screenings and other necessary medical procedures to have to wait months to this day, still be waiting to get those procedures done because those hospitals were mandated to only cover COVID patients, even though those hospitals said that they had the protocols in place to protect the non-COVID patients from the COVID patients, while simultaneously they put COVID patients in nursing homes. Yep. While those nursing homes said, we do not have the protocols in place to protect the most uh, vulnerable population in our country, seniors who are sick in nursing homes from those COVID patients, the states went, no, nope, that's what it says here on the magic sheet of paper we have to do. So here you go. Off with you. We have seen in every single case how massive human suffering that is far worse than the actual virus itself. Not to mention the incalculable economic damage that's happening. Yep. I'm just talking about the immediate human suffering, healthcare suffering that is happening as a result of this at every single, and it's only happening because the federal government didn't allow medical professionals to do their job and test and contain the virus when that was possible. At every single step, the federal government has demonstrated why they should be the hell out of our healthcare, the hell out of our lives and allow us and the professionals in the given field, in this case, health healthcare, to do their jobs to ameliorate the problems instead of making them worse by imposing burdens and obstacles on us and trying to do what we need to do. I love it. Boy, I love your passion, Spike. Um, you don't have to apologize for ranting. I do it commonly. <laughs> and and uh, I, I love it when somebody has a passion and, and, and knows their subject matter. And the great thing is about... You know, when you speak of libertarian principles and just liberty in general, um, you don't have to, you don't have to, um, you know, you just tell the truth. So you don't have it's to pretty, spin it. yeah. No, yeah. you don't have to spin it. You just tell the truth because it's yeah. all about liberty. And, and, and it's not just, you know, it's not just about my liberty. It's about other people's liberty. Think about how it's going to affect not just me, but anybody else. Everyone and, else. Exactly. Everyone else. So if you just, if you just think about that and just think about liberty, it just makes sense. And you just, it, it's just, it's easy to tell the truth, you know? So with exactly. those and, and stick to those principles, you don't have to spin it at all. Just like you said. Mm -hmm. So Spike, I appreciate your time. This has been a wonderful, wonderful show and podcast, and you've really helped to meet our goal of educating and empowering consumers that there is an answer to, to health care, and the answer is not more government intervention, just like my book Sicken says. Not more government intervention. It's less government intervention. It's free market principles. The patients, yep. the consumers drive it, and price will go down, service will go up. I appreciate your time. Put the power and the money and the freedom back in the hands of the people where it always belonged, and they will come up with better solutions for themselves working with each other in cooperation than a bunch of cronies thousands of miles away could ever do even if they wanted to. Amen, brother. I like it.
So thank you, Spike, and I appreciate your time. Um, you've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Uh, tune in Monday. We will be streaming live again on Facebook and the Mosley Professional Pharmacies YouTube at 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, thanks for listening and watching today.